Welcome, friends, to another episode of The Human Voice. As always, Bob Hutchins here, and we are circling back around and doing something pretty different and unique, something that I have not done to this point. I'm going to be on the other side of the interview, Mike, today. Uh, a couple episodes back, you remember that I interviewed a childhood friend, Mr. Daniel Brown, who lives in Atlanta. We had a great conversation. After that conversation, Daniel said, why don't you let me interview you? And I thought, you know, I have had several listeners and friends say, you interview a lot of people. We'd love to hear some of your story. And I was just waiting for the right opportunity and it arose. So here we set. So Daniel, welcome again to the podcast. Thanks, Bob. Thanks for having me back. Looking yeah. Forward. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to this as well. Just to remind listeners or listeners who may not have listened to the episode, I've known Daniel for, gosh, 40 years, yep. <laughs> more, than, more right. than that. We've lost touch for a while. We've reconnected recently. We grew up together in the same city in Miami, went to church together as kids, and then college age, we went our separate ways as people do and then reconnected and, and have had some great discussions. So Daniel, I'm going to let you, I'm going to turn the uh, <laughs> microphone over to you, let you be the interviewer, and we'll just see what happens. Sounds good. Sounds good. <laughs> but before we begin, what I like to do is ask your listeners to please take a moment to rate and review the podcast. Absolutely. I, yeah, I, I can tell you that Apple has this algorithm, and all that means is like a, a set of rules that they follow mechanically. And more recent reviews have more value. So your, your review would have more value than mine right now. And more reviews, the better. And the more subscriptions, the better. And, and the reason why I say that is just, you know, if you listen to Bob and you want to, to get that same message out, then this is the best way for people to find it is if you uh, take that time. So please do so. Thank you. Yeah. Anyways, my, my hope here is that the listeners will get to, to know you more. Bob, and to kind of maybe know a little bit like I know you. Anyways, awesome. let's start. Let's start at the beginning. When back when you were young, I know as a young <laughs> child you lived in uh, Puerto Rico, and yeah, I did. you know you had some time there before I even knew you. So just tell me about that. Tell me, you know, like how did that shape your life? What do you think that 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 impacted you as a human being? Yeah, that's great. Um, I probably need to go back to. Even before that, I was born actually in Panama in the Canal Zone and lived there till I was about four or five years old. My dad worked for the government, for the FAA and Federal Aviation Administration. And so we moved around a lot. So I was born there. We then moved back to the state, spent some time in Oklahoma City where he went back to school. Then we moved to Alabama for a few years. Then we moved to Puerto Rico. And uh, Puerto Rico was great. I loved it, have very, very fond memories of it. It was a very influential time in my life, fourth, fifth, sixth grade range. So left in half of second half of fourth grade, spent fourth, fifth, sixth, right before going into junior high, we moved back. Then we moved to Miami where you and I met. But growing up in Latin environments, both Panama, Puerto Rico, my parents say that Spanish was the first language that I learned because back in the 60s when I was born, especially in Panama, it was very inexpensive to have some hired help. My mom had some help with me and my 
my sister. And so my, the, the help that we had, the lady who would iron some clothes and cook from time to time and just do some, some light housework. She, I was around her a lot. And so from what I'm told, my first language was not English, it was Spanish. So living in Miami, Puerto Rico, Panama, and as you know, from your story, Danny, growing up in Miami and then marrying someone from Chile and living in Chile, we have that in common. So Latin culture is always very near and dear to me. And you asked me how it shaped me and how it influenced me. I think I love the fact that my parents brought me up in different cultures, different environments. And I got to experience that in my formative years, whereas I have so many friends and people, Dan, that have lived in one place all their life. And while that's great, I I think it was Augustine that says, a man who does not travel and see the world is only, it's like reading one page of a great book. And so I, I think it's so important to give your kids that gift to, if you can't live in other places, at least try to travel, try to make that a priority, because then you can see the world from many, many different perspectives and not become so siloed. And you realize that the world really is a big place and that people are simultaneously the same, no matter where you go. We have so much in common. And at the same time, there's so many different ways to look at life too. So I think that really, that, that formed and influenced my curiosity Even the reason I do what I do, I love to talk to different people with different perspectives. And I think it opens your mind up to a much bigger world and hopefully, you know, understand yourself and other human beings better. I could not agree more. Could not agree more. Yeah. Having having had that opportunity to live overseas and how that changed perspectives for me. That's 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 perfect, Bob. Appreciate that. Well, anyways, uh, so we grew up in a little Southern Baptist church in Miami together, as, as you mentioned. And one of the things I, I remember fondly was we would go on uh, youth trips together. And one of the things that we would, I, I remember them giving us a cassette tape on the evils of rock and roll, <laughs> where, 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 um, <clears throat> where I discovered Rush. I found out that they weren't <laughs> satanic, but probably just, just, you know, just guys. But anyways, they, yeah, and, and both of us, you know, into listening to music, but you took it a bit farther. You started playing music. And mm-hmm. what led you to, to that form of creativity? Oh, gosh. I, I guess because I think I was always, I have a creative bent, was never the best musician in, in the group, but I could, I could hold my own. I could play the bass. I played a little guitar. Mm-hmm. And in that it gave me an outlet to be creative to write music to play other people's music but to but to communicate on a stage maybe to have an outlet for um, that creativity and and i think for me it was also a way it was it was in the same vein of the previous question it gave me the opportunity to travel a little bit and to engage with people in many different situations and from many different perspectives. So I just loved that side of it. It's not something, honestly, that I ever took so seriously and said, I'm going to be a rock star. I'm going to do this the rest of my life. It was just something that for the time period, it was it was great. It was a lot of fun. I steer, still from time to time kind of tinker around with it. But but yeah, I really love that, that, that's that time in my life for sure. Absolutely. A creative outlet there for sure. So 
to go a little bit in a totally different direction, but somewhat related. I want to say that there's this radio show from the 40s called Life of Riley. My dad used to use this phrase, living the life of Riley, to mean like living like this carefree life. And and you named one of your bands Life of Riley. Riley. Yep. You even yep. named your son Riley. So, yep. so I got to know, what is that connection to Life of Riley? Well, we had my son first. So he was pre the band. And then when we're thinking about a band name, somebody came up with Life of Riley. So it kind of had a double meaning. It was an ode to my our son. And at that time, he was an only child. I've, I've had we've had two more since then. Mm-hmm. But and it was the, it what it means. It's a slang term for meaning living the good life. Mm-hmm. So there, there was a show called that, but it's actually based on when someone says, oh, he's living the life of Riley. You don't really hear it in modern times as much, but it was something that probably our parents know and have heard of that saying, it just means living the good life. So we kind of kind of liked that theme. It, you know, it was kind of a double entendre, so, it, so to say. And so, yeah, that's where that came from. Yeah, very good. Very good. Very curious about that one. Anyways. <laughs> So, so like we said, we grew up in a nice little Southern Baptist church in Miami. And, and during that time, you know, you were in a band and everything, but what, what stands out to you? Like at that time, you know, growing up in, in that church, what stands out and, and how do you, mm. that shaped you? Hmm. Well, I think our, on our last call, I mean, our last show, when I interviewed you, I think we got into some of that. I think... I think for many of us, it it provides. I'll talk about the good things first. I think it 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 provides a community. I think it provides a safe environment for the most part. It provides a, a structure. You know, one of my there's a Catholic priest, Father Richard Rohr, that talks about order, disorder, and reorder as kind of a way of explaining how our lives do and should function. And I think that box of order that we all need as kids. So for instance, you don't want your kids to, you know, live in anarchy from the time they're born, right? Like you don't want them to be hellions and end up in juvenile hall and have no rules. And I think that structures like organized church and maybe the church we grew up in provided that. It provided us, you know, here's what's right. Here's what's wrong. Here's a place to be three times a week. Here's a community that's going to do fun things that are relatively safe. And, and so, I think that order that can provide that clear kind of line for you to learn how to be polite, how to love God, how to love others, those are all orderly things, which I think are important. And then at some point in your life, there is disorder, whether it's disrupted in externally upon you or something that you bring upon yourself that, you know, from it could be called a hero's journey, dark night of the soul, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, many of us go through that and then we find, oh my gosh, this order that I thought I had is now blown up in a way. And then reorder is where you know we continue to put that back together and maybe healthier more expanded more bigger loving kinder ways so to me i see the real value is that order that first box of order is real valuable to especially kids and young people so those are 
those are the good things I would say, and and that I'm, that I'm grateful for. Right. And what what are, you you see any negative things as well? I think sometimes, and I know this was my experience, there can be a shame based religion that we we don't think impacts us, but can have detrimental effects on us long-term as for Mm -hmm. for many of us, not everybody, but you know, how I see people, maybe an extreme binary view of the world, black and white, right and wrong, good, bad, in, out, my team, their team, that we can carry on into adulthood and begin to begin to see things in that way. Maybe Maybe we were, maybe we felt shame about, you know, our performance, maybe self-confidence, maybe some of those things that weren't handled in, in, in good ways. And, and although this didn't happen to me, and I don't believe it happened to you, even the church we were part of, there was some really nasty, bad stuff, you know, some abuse and some other stuff that we found out later was going on. So I think that can sometimes be a breeding ground in those environments, especially when it's hyper-religious, hyper-legalistic, it's easy for people like that to hide behind religion. So those are those are some other things that I think for me, as I have you know grown and unwound and got to those that box of reorder in my life and continuing to do it, you know, it, it can go. You can go back to that and see how that there's some influences there that weren't always positive. Yep, absolutely. And I I must say that I think even in that early days that, that, you know, you especially saw that there were, there were issues, right. You know, the church was not perfect. It was not hundred percent. Right. right. And, and was willing to take the time to question that and say, Hey, you know, there's, is there something more out there, you know, not just what you got from the pulpit every Sunday. So, and yeah. 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 And I think that was what reconnected us and what maybe was always what you and I had in common. And and it's kind of funny to look back now and say that you recognized that about me because sometimes hindsight is twenty twenty when you think about your own life and you look back and say, oh, well, did I? Or or maybe, maybe I did. Maybe I've always been questioning um, that. So it's interesting that, that you remember that about me. Absolutely. I don't I, mean, I don't I don't always remember that about myself is what I'm saying. Exactly. And we can be very critical about ourselves for sure. For sure. I know I am. And like, why didn't I see that? Why didn't I think why did I think that? You know, exactly. How, how ignorant was I? But no. All good. But anyway, so I I know that both of us got involved in the ministry, right? We even mm-hmm. like mentioned in our other podcast that that we went on a mission trip together. But but I will say that you were the one who organized it, got it going. You've been very motivated where I don't think I've been as motivated to get actively involved. But but why? You know, what what thing what do you think motivated you to get so involved to to start ministries to to get involved in mission work? What, what do you think motivated you in that area? Gosh, it's a great question. Haven't thought about that for years. I think, well, let's talk psychologically first. I think I'm the type of person even today that if I do something, it's, I really get into it. So, you know, I'm sitting here podcasting with you and I just was excited because I got this new like mic, you know, wind, you know, things set up and it gets just keeps getting more and more extravagant, right? You know, when I was playing music, I always had the greatest 
latest and greatest or you know all of that so it's part of my i think my gluttonous nature gets me in trouble sometimes but the good thing is is i'm always hungry for learning and growing and wanting to to know more and so i think when it came to as a young person when it came to my faith and my my understanding of god i always wanted to to know and get into that deeper and so for me it meant not just reading about, but actually trying to experience and trying to put into practice and trying to do it the best way that I know how. And I'm also a creative and adventurous person. Like I like to go experience new things. I like to learn about new people. So putting together a, a group, a mission trip that, you know, when my church said, well, we're not doing anything like that. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll just go do it myself. And so, and that can't be a bad thing, right? So I just said, hey, anybody else want to go do this with me? And of course, you and some other people said, yeah, I'll go. So I think I think there was lots of motivating reasons. But at the end of the day, I think it was a motive that was pure that said, we really want to go learn, not only help people, but maybe we can learn from them and go offer you know, whatever it is that we could offer to them and love them in that way. So I remember it was great. I had I have fond memories and even still have photographs of the experience. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, same here. Same here. Well, it's funny. I don't think I have photos, so you should send them to me. Then, I will uh, for sure. <laughs> absolutely. Love to see it. Uh, late eighties, late eighties, early nineties. I don't remember when it was. Sounds about right. Sounds about yeah. right. eighties, late eighties. Very good. Very good. But anyway, so, so I know you got even more involved in full-time ministry after that with, with other ministries mm-hmm. and, you know, but, you know, I, I, you can go into into those if you'd like, but also I'm curious what what got you out of mm-hmm. out of ministry as well. Yeah. Well, it depends on how deep and how far you want to go. Uh, but yeah, yeah, that was my first college degree was in biblical studies, and I and I really felt and believed that 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 was going to be my life. But you know, I had a real hankering, Dan, for business and for entrepreneurship, and I just I'm not the pastoral like, get me a church and let me stay there with a hundred people and grow it, and that that's just not me. I'm not that type of person, and so I really kind of in the you know years ago I followed the model of. I'll continue to do that, but I'm going to work full time and see how they kind of weave together. And so, you know, I really got into the tech side really early on, started building computers and doing all kinds of things like that, and then got recruited in the probably mid 90s, early to mid 90s, after working for a ministry out in Texas to come back to Florida and work for a an internet based, actually, it was a, a nonprofit faith based online, the Christian Interactive Network had a series of forums on CompuServe kiddos, you can go Google that. <laughs> but it was really the first kind of online experience you had that and Prodigy and AOL was starting to kind of grow and blow up. But that was really the first foray online. And then from there, I started, I got recruited in the late 90s to go work for a tech outsourcing firm and then moved to Nashville in the late, probably 98, 99, started my own business in the tech outsourcing with a partner in Florida, and then started my own digital marketing agency at the end of 2000, beginning of 2001, and ran that for 17 years. 
Wow. Yeah. So that's kind of how the progress of, 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 of starting maybe in the ministry, kind of getting out of it, but, but all along that whole period, that whole timeline, I was still involved at, at that time in church and involved in different, and even my digital marketing agency kind of had a focus of working with nonprofits and things like that. Okay. Yeah, I, I, it's funny. That's something else we have in common. And I never really went full time, you know, in just ministry, but mm-hmm. was was blended with working and being in ministry. I fully believe in that just because it gives you a better focus. If you're just yeah. really focused in the ministry, you're not there in the real world. So, yeah, for sure. Very cool. Very cool. Anyways, one of the things I hear you ask a lot, and you ask me as well, is about critical points in people's lives, right? You know, mm. as you call them doorways. What are what are what are some of your doorways? I would say certainly, certainly one of them is is having kids. I I think that opens up a whole realm of of experience for us as human beings that we don't ever experience before and we can't really fully understand until you raise a child whether it's your own or or you adopt or whatever it may be mm-hmm. it teaches you a lot about yourself it teaches you a lot about humanity it teaches you a lot about just the the human struggle in general so i would say that's one doorway i think probably the biggest one in the last five six years was I had I had a, a kind of a crisis of faith, an existential crisis, whatever you want to call it, a dark night of the soul. I went through a bit of a, a breakdown financially, emotionally back in 2017 and became very suicidal. Went through a lot, a, a real tough time personally, emotionally. And what what happened in that doorway, I would say, was it was an extreme reorder. I'm sorry, a extreme disorder experience, as I mentioned earlier, where everything blew up in my life. I had everything going for me. It was a perfect, perfect marriage, perfect family, picture of success in many ways from the outside. But internally, I was having a lot of problems. And we won't get into the details on that. But let's just say I kind of came to the point in my life where, you know, being a certain having expectations of of what I thought I was to be, my identity, who I was supposed to be, how faith and God was supposed to work, all came crumbling down in many ways. And out of the ashes of that, I kind of walked out of it um, kind of a different person altogether. I heard about, I had heard about these things. I had read about these things. You know, I've heard stories of testimonials of people's lives and, but never really understood it in an experiential way. But I fully understood it after that time. And so lost everything, still had my family, still had my marriage, but hurt a lot of, I hurt a lot of people along the way. I had made a lot of decisions, bad decisions in business and, 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 you know, hurt my family. But what it caused me to, 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 to see was all the things, Dan, that I thought would work, all the things that I was counting on, all the things that I thought I understood about uh, myself, about faith, about life, about relationships, they were kind of turned upside down. And 
something something broke in me that caused me to come out the other side of that. I I would say a a more open person, seeing things from a much wider viewpoint, seeing nuances even more in people, seeing the world is a much bigger place. And maybe my understanding of faith, of God, of the divine, whatever you want to call it, was Mm -hmm. so, was very limited. And so now, having said that, that can be not only uncomfortable for me, but also can be uncomfortable for other people because you begin to not talk the same, not maybe believe the same, not maybe go to this and participate in the same things. And that's okay because, you know, we grow, we evolve, we, we change, but that's not always a popular thing. I referenced to you my interview with Rob Bell a few months ago. And if anybody's listening, you can go back to listen to Rumors of Grace. I don't know which episode it was, but he wrote a book called Everything is Spiritual. And it was kind of his own life experience of going through some similar things and where he is now. And it it kind of resonated with him. And he really there was something about that interview, honestly, Dan, that that really something clicked in me because so much of so much of the things that I was going through and the expectations that I thought people had on me and whether I was letting people down or the shame that I may have that I may feel, really what I came what I something clicked in me and said, you know, Bob, no one really has any expectations. Those are all expectations you're putting on yourself. And if somebody does have an issue with you, that's really their own internal issues and their own shame, maybe their own struggles. It really has nothing to do with you. And so where I am now is this podcast, Dan, was born out of that experience, kind of selfishly as my own journey to try to figure out and talk to people and say, hey, here's what I'm going through. I want to know what you are going through. What do you believe? And so if you listen to the last 90 episodes of of my podcast, you can see a, a gradual growth and change and understanding and exploration because I really continue to this day, I want to talk to people from all walks of life, all perspectives, and really understand and try to figure out better what that human experience is. And that's why I changed the name of the podcast to The Human Voice was I didn't want to limit it only to faith discussions, but Mm -hmm. also human discussions because I'm finding more and more, and you and I have talked about this briefly. It's at the end of the day, Dan, every human being, no matter where you are on the planet, you basically, we basically all want the same thing. We want a roof over our head. We want our kids to be taken care of. We want our families to be fed. We want to to live in freedom to whatever degree that means. We don't want to have to struggle for our survival. We just want to feel safe. Those are all things that are human experience. And I think if we can, if we can, and I can see that and learn that and help others to see that from every perspective, maybe just maybe we can get past some of this kind of us, them, maybe we can get past some of the, the diatribes. And so to circle it all back to, you know, what was the doorway? I look back now and I say, 
I'm very grateful and thankful for that experience. It was very painful. It's taken even to this day a lot of work and counseling and you know deep introspection to to continue to work through some of that. But I think and I believe I'm a better person because of it, and hopefully a more loving, kind person because because of it. Very good. Yeah, you 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 answered like every question that I had in my <laughs> right because I, I I it's so funny because I was thinking okay I wonder if he's grateful well you already answered that yeah. you know like one after another but that's that's good Bob yeah and I can tell you that I don't know if you've ever read the book the problem of pain I see us Lewis yes it I like he wrote about that book and he said after he went through the death of his wife he said. I had no idea what I was talking about. <laughs> it's like and, until he had gone through it. I mean, that, that's, you know, don't quote me on that. That's not what his words were. But basically, he found issues with his own book because it was written from a, a perspective of not having gone through the pain, right? Not having gone through it, right? And so hopefully, you know, as hard as it was and as difficult as it mm. was, something you can use to, 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 provide some mercy and grace and love to, to others, right? Provide that. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I think one of the things growing up in, in our environment, Dan, was we, and, and I think evangelical churches in general many times, really have a bad theology or no theology of it's always things are going to get better one day when we're heaven. And if you're struggling, you need to get the victory, the singing, the songs, when was the last time we really spent a whole service in lament? When is the whole time we, you know, when's the last time you heard a sermon about the value of suffering and how that is transformative? I, I think that I didn't know how to context in going through what I went through really to put it in any other in any other type of framework because I think I spent my life believing that if I did this, then things would work out good, or if I believed enough, things would be good. And even if things were rough, then that was really more on me than on anybody else. So I think having a theology, and I think that the Orthodox, the Roman Catholics, and others have really have a much better theology of, of suffering and of exploring those dark spaces that actually our doorways to to better and 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 it makes sense like isn't that what the crucifixion is all about if you if you really put it in that context so absolutely yeah one of the, your early podcasts and and i don't remember it was probably one of the first five you interviewed someone maybe your pastor or a former pastor from from a lutheran church or Episcopalian, maybe, or yeah, something Anglican, like mm-hmm. Ang- Anglican, yeah, and and talking about liturgy and, and stuff like that, and and finding grace there, and I, I, it literally opened my eyes. I guess I was so narrow-minded not to think there was something there that 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 would be in the depths of what they repeat over and over again, and 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 finding grace. Yeah, yeah, rhythms. There's something. There's something powerful about rhythms of of practice. You know, there's something. Whether you believe it or buy into it or see the value of it, you can't deny that when people get together regularly and globally and say and do and engage 
in the same thought process, in the same words, and in the same heart posture. I think there's something really beautiful about that. And and I think we we know that to be true in our own lives, right? You know, any good psychologist will say, you know, you've got to get into a rhythm of if you're gonna if you're gonna get healthy in your body, you've got to you know, walk every day. Um, You've got to journal every day. You've got to do the things that you need to do to be healthy and get into a rhythm. We know that when there is no rhythm and there's no structure, there's very few things in life that things go well without that. And so, so I think there is a real value in that. But getting back to the suffering part, I think we've done an injustice, honestly, to to our understanding of of God and the divine if we don't include some sort of rich theology into the value of suffering. Not that you're not that not that you're going out and looking for that or that you're or that you're relishing in the pity or the pain, but there's something beautiful about there there's an author that I really love. Her name is Barbara Brown Taylor. She's an Episcopal priest. And she wrote a book called Learning to Walk in the Dark, I believe, or Learning to See in the Dark, maybe Learning to Walk in the Dark. And it was a very influential book when I was going through this difficult time in my life. And and, and it's basically her perspective and, and you call it a theology or whatever, but it, it's actually more personal writings of what she's learned and how, you know, even creation itself teaches us that there's things that happen in the night and in the dark that can't happen in the daytime. There are things in the scripture that happen in the dark and the nighttime that couldn't happen. You think of, you know, you think of dreams that came to people, you think of visions, you think of Jesus come people coming to him in the night. You think of all these things that that happen in darkness, that happen in nighttime, that happen in dreams, that happened in difficult struggles. Even the book of Job, whether you believe that's literal or figurative. It's a story about transformation of a human being that came out the other side better than before, but in the midst of it, learned some pretty deep, powerful things. And so I just, I think sometimes we leave those things out and I think it's 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 really important for us to to do a better job of understanding it, talking about it, and, and, and hate to say, but embracing it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you're right. That's, that's an area where we as as uh, as a culture, as a, as a church, have failed people miserably by not talking about pain and 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 what's really going to happen in life. I can say that that's not true in every culture. I know that in Guatemala, that that like if you listen to their music and their liturgy and in 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 the remote areas, it's it it is you know they take the time to go through the pain and talk about mm. pain sing about pain and, and getting through it and preparing people for what is, you know, much harder life over there, but still. Very yeah. Good. Yeah. And, and you go to those countries and again, the value of experiencing that you see them like joyful, happy people, but yet at the same, same time can simultaneously sing these songs about pain and suffering, which are very real to them. It's not just songs. It's it's how they get through life. It's how they experience it, and they they can lament in the midst of it and be joyful at the same time. And I think that's the secret, right? The secret is it's not a false positive positivity. It's not a toxic positivity where you just ignore these things and act like they're not there. 
but it's actually you embrace them and you sit in them and you see the value of them and how they build resiliency. They reveal things to you that you can't see in the, in the light. And so, yeah, I think there's a real value there. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, to, to move on to something a little different. Yeah. A little lighter. <laughs> a little lighter. A little lighter. One thing that I think is obvious from listening to your podcast is that you care about people, right? Mm. It, it's easy to see it. I know it's there. It's easy for me to care about somebody who's in front of me, you know, somebody I know or deal with, but you're caring about people who, you know, may never write you a review. You'll, you'll never get an email from them or whatever. I, I'm, I'm curious. And I know you said you kind of started this as a, as a, you know, as, as my a own therapy, your, your own <laughs> therapy, but I don't believe that's hundred percent the reason because it's way too much work for that. So, so, so why do you care? Why, why do you care about people that you will never meet? And yeah. Never yeah. Some people I'll never meet face to face. It's a great question. I, I really am curious and I really do care about people. And I, I think for me, it's, 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 it, Hmm. What podcasting does is it allows me to include people into a discussion, whether it be a listener or someone I'm talking to, that and I have complete control of the questions that I ask and the setting. And so I want people to know that if you have had these same questions, if you had these same struggles, if you had these same, whatever it may be, that you've quite that you're scared of asking i want them to know that they can feel safe in this environment that they can listen that you may they may be alone in an environment that could be toxic could be they might be going through the same thing that maybe i went through and they don't have anybody to talk to and what i've found dan is more and more I'll get emails. People will stop me in the stores and they'll say, Hey, Bob. And it's usually people that I know, but they'll say, Hey, I listened to so-and-so that you interviewed. It was really great. And these are sometimes it's surprising because it's people that I wouldn't think would listen to my podcast. Like maybe I had a false, again, not image of who they are and what they believe or, you know, whatever it may be. And what it goes to show is that there's a real value in having honest conversations and safe spaces of talking about things and freedom that maybe you don't get to listen to or you don't hear. And and maybe it's a little different and maybe it challenges you. Maybe it goes against what, what you and others around you may believe. All those things, I think they need to be talked about because I was always curious about it. I didn't know who to talk about it. And so... That's one of the main reasons is I just want people to know that they can listen in and hopefully it helps someone. Maybe it pushes someone to be a better human, a better person, a more loving, kind person. But you know, the other selfish reason is, you may have heard this, is if you ever want to talk to the people that you've always wanted to talk to, just start a podcast. It's amazing how you can't, you can't get through to authors and speakers and personalities but I guarantee you, you direct message them on Facebook or Instagram and say, hey, will you come on my podcast? Very rarely will I get an, it's just a, it's an interesting, it's an interesting phenomenon. So there's that. I get to talk to authors and 
you know, I got to talk to, you know, the author of The Shack. I got to talk to people like Rob Bell. There, there's so many people that I've spoken with that I would have never got the opportunity to. Sue Monk Kidd, who wrote The Secret Life of Bees, and, you know, she's got blockbuster Grammy movies that, that are made after her books. And on and on it goes. So, so there's a little bit of that, like, star. And maybe I'm a little starry-eyed, and so I enjoy that, too. But at the same time, like I said, I really enjoy talking to people and I really care about people and I, I don't get paid for it. I don't monetize it in any way. So it's really, it, it really is a, a love that, that I do. It's, it's a passion. It's a communication platform. Yeah, I know it is because I know if there's anybody I know who could monetize something is you, <laughs> right? And you don't. Yeah. And it shows the integrity of what you're doing. So. Yeah, yeah. So all my listeners, I, I, I'm sh- hopefully you're thankful that it, you're not getting commercials here, and I don't think I'll ever do that. <laughs> That's, good. That's, good. That's good. Well, I don't want you to pick your favorite child, but if you could, Uh-oh. but one or two episodes that you think stand out or you kind of resonate with you. I know you mentioned Rob Bell and any any others that that kind of yeah. Like Gosh, that was one of my favorites because I always love what he has to say. Gosh, all my guests, I love all of them. You know, my most recent guest was Jeff Goins. I've interviewed him twice. He's also a personal friend. And that guy has has so much wisdom from a business, but also a self-reflective perspective. I just love anybody who's going to come to the table and be honest and be transparent. I think, you know, vulnerability breeds vulnerability. And that's really what I try to model. We're so divided in our country and in the world. And I just want people to know that just be vulnerable and be honest and be human. And all of a sudden you see people's faces and and voice change and they become vulnerable and honest. And so hopefully modeling some of that, gosh, you know, I love my discussion with the author of The Shack. He was great talking about, he. <laughs> we didn't really talk about The Shack. We talked about um, the a book he wrote, was it A Hundred Lies That You've Believed About God or something like that. It was, it was great, it was great. So I just went through the book and, and read some of those. Let me see who else, some of my early, some of my early podcast early on, you mentioned Father Chad Jarnigan. He's an Anglican priest here in my area. Uh, oh, David Cassidy. He's he's great too. For those of you who want to hear a, a very very wise, smart pastoral human being, I actually did two episodes with him. He's a good friend as well. There's just so many. Interviewing my son Riley, that was a lot of fun. Just kind of getting him to open up and talk about his life and where he is now is in, in his late twenties. Maybe do it again in a few years and see how he's changed. But but there's been so many, Dan. And I love my interview with you. It was so good to catch up. And just to like, there's very few people that I can sit and talk about the old days in Miami. <laughs> so true. So true. So true. Yeah, there, there's so many good ones. I I can't even remember which ones. And with, with so much out there, there's so many. I'm like, man, that was so good. But I, I think I've written you a few times, like saying, oh, yeah, I really like that one. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, okay. and what I what I always appreciate about about you, Daniel. I know this is interviewing me, but you always are say, you know, I really enjoyed it. I didn't agree with everything, but I really enjoyed right. it. <laughs> Absolutely, you know, and I, that's something I mentioned to say at the beginning when I was trying to ask people to 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 you know, not only you know subscribe to your podcast but to rate it. Is you don't have to agree a hundred percent. 
You know, you just yeah. have to agree that, hey, we're all looking for truth and we're all trying to explore, you know, because I don't. Yeah. And, and, and I enjoy I enjoy that that dialogue. Right. I enjoy mm. the dialogue even with people I disagree with because you learn something and hopefully you change what you believe. Hopefully you're willing to, 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 to move. Right. And, and listen. that's what I hope so. That's yeah. what I hope. I hope because I've learned so much from my guest that. You know, I've grown and learned and changed and, you know, some stick out more than others, but, but I'm careful in curating the guests to make sure that they're the kind of person that will challenge my, my beliefs and that will challenge other people listening, not, not just to be an instigator to stir the pot, but to actually get people thinking differently. I'm always curious about people who think against the flow, who think differently, who think for themselves, but at the same time are kind and understanding and willing to have those type of conversations. I think the more that we can model that, especially to the next generation is, just because someone disagrees with you doesn't mean they don't like you. And it's not a personal attack against you. Mm-hmm. And civil civil discourse is what our country was founded on. If and when we lose that, you know, we're we've really lost a lot. So that's another, I think, motivation for me. I'm really passionate about that. Yeah. Okay. Well, one other thing I was wanted to bring up is I, I noticed that during the you know the early days of the COVID nineteen pandemic, right? The, mm-hmm. That I felt as though your your podcast took on an extremely compassionate, loving tone. Not that it wasn't before, but even <laughs> more so. I, I don't know. Did you do you see your role change as a podcaster then, or did that have any effect on you as far as long term? You know, I I don't have any unrealistic beliefs that, you know, I can influence the world or the masses. But if I can influence a few handful of people, and I think what we all needed and we still need during COVID, but especially at the height, there was just a lot of people suffering, Dan. There's a lot of people that live by themselves. There's a lot of people that... Um, were struggling to make the end, ends meet because they weren't in a situation to to work that their livelihood depended on, you know, whatever whether it be food service, whether it be service based business, whatever it may be. And there were people just emotionally and psychologically just freaked out. And so for me, what could I do to help in some way? Like you feel, I felt very helpless in 2020, honestly. I felt like, what could I do? Where can I go? What can I, you know, where can I, can I be in, can I do anything for anybody else? I can't even help myself. And I'm certainly, you know, privileged. I, I was able to maintain work and work from home. And, but I know other people were struggling in other ways besides just financially. So for me, it was, okay, I'm going to interview my counselor friends. I'm going to interview, you know, people who could speak in and give good advice. I even opened up my recordings to to let people call in and, and share what their mm-hmm. experience has been so that they could have a voice on the podcast. So yeah, to answer your question, I hope I was being compassionate. That was my desire. And to maybe give some hope to somebody who was, you know, maybe not feeling a lot of hope. So yeah, yeah, I I, I definitely felt 
I felt it myself and I knew if I was feeling that way, there was probably a lot of other people who were feeling the same, if not not worse. And we, we've all heard those stories. So, so yeah, so I would get my buddy, you know, Jerome Leba down in Atlanta, who's a functional neurologist and talking about what people can do and what's going on at their brains. My, my friend Ian Cron, who, who's written books about the Enneagram and, and how to have some self-awareness de- during COVID. And those, those are still very relevant today. There's a lot of people still struggling. Yeah, I wish I would have listened to them during that time. My problem <laughs> is literally like I stopped commuting, I stopped listening, right? You know, like, the, and that was it. And I got fell so far behind on this part. <laughs> yeah, right? exactly. Right. So exactly. Like, then yeah, I listened commu- to much later, and I was like, man, that would have been helpful. I should have. Uh, <laughs> yeah, sometimes uh, the only time we listen to podcasts is when we're driving. Unfortunately, many of us. I used to have an hour commute both ways, so yeah. It was, it was good. Now, so, now, when, now when you go out and go for walks around the block, that's when you listen to them. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> that's what I do. So I, one more topic that I know I hear you mention a lot. And I just want to make sure that the rest of the listeners understand what you mean. Okay. Binary thinking. You, yeah. you say that a lot, that you don't like binary thinking. And, and what does that mean to you? And like, where, where is that like? been seen in your life? How do you see yourself changing this in regards to binary thinking? Yeah. Well, I mean, binary is, is two, right? We think of computers and binaries as ones and zeros. Mm-hmm. So when I say binary thinking, I'm saying yes or no, you know, only two options. And I've discovered as I get older and it it continues to grow every almost daily, that the world is not black and white. Most things in life there, there are absolutes. So there, but I find that there are very few. But, but there's so much nuance. There's so many colors, and there's so many ways to see things. So I think I wrote something the other day, or I read it, or I don't remember what. But talking about our 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 points of view and the way that we see the world, by its very nature, also defines what we don't see in the world, and that is called blind spots. So I need other perspectives. I need your perspective. I need, you know, the people I talk to, the people around the world. I need their perspectives because I'm only using my two eyes, my brain and my experiences. And so I think there's not two ways to look at things. There's hundreds, there's thousands of ways. It's kind of like saying there's only two colors. Well, you look through a prism and you realize there's millions of colors. And I think if we can get to the point where we're able to acknowledge that and take a step back and zoom out and say, okay, this topic, I can have my own opinion. I can believe a certain way and you should, but you need to be able to say things like, in my opinion, this is the way I look at it. Be careful when you start saying, this is the truth. This is the way it is. There's only one way to see this. If you don't believe this way, then you're wrong. Those are very dangerous things to say about most things. So that's what I mean. I mean that don't get 
be careful and guard against us, them, black, white, whatever it may be, Republican, Democrat, right, left, vax, anti-vax. Those are all things that, that we're becoming more and more polarized on. And I'm really, I'm really believe that the world is, is, is beautiful. It's multicolored. It's multifaceted. And it's one thing that you and I have talked about before. I think maybe I remember even having this discussion many years ago with you was that for something to be true, it has to be true in, in Atlanta, Georgia, in Franklin, Tennessee. And it also has to be true in China. It has to be true in Africa. It has to be true in Russia. And if it's not just as true there, then it's not true. It may have truth into it, but it's not absolute. And so I think sometimes we can become very myopic. That's the value of travel. As we said earlier, it's the value of reading different perspectives. It's the value of listening to podcasts of people who believe differently. The reality is that we're all tribal by nature. I personally think it's was served a value at time in our in our evolution as humans. It's how we it's how we survived. It's how we it's how tribes is how we guarded against being killed and whatever it may be. When there was people out there that wanted to destroy or take over or, or whatever it may be, that the tribes are important. And even now, finding our own tribes and people we, we love and, and we share interest in, that's important. There's nothing wrong with that. However, the binary thinking comes in is when we believe that our beliefs, our values, our country, our religion, our theology mm-hmm. is absolute. That is the only way to see things. And anybody else is wrong, is bad. And where that can lead is in demonization. You know, it's the old saying is don't fear the witches, fear the people who wanted to burn to burn them at the stake. That's where I think my passion is, is because the world you can learn so much and there's so much love and there's so much kindness in other human beings, but it's so easy for us to just again, get stuck in that thinking of going, well, they don't believe like I do, so they're not good humans, or I don't want to be with them, whatever it may be. So that's a long answer to your question. No, but a good one. Let's let's finish this up with, with one more question I got for you. And Bob, okay. I've always thought of you as a, as a teacher. You've taught me so many things over the years. You've always been a, an influence on me. I know we we talked about grace and you taught me a lot about that. My favorite word in the English language is paradox. <laughs> you and for those who don't know, that's one of Bob's one of my bands. One of your bands <laughs> was paradox. And for some reason that has stuck with me for, for years and mm. years. But this this podcast is gonna gonna exist beyond us, right? We're gonna be long gone. Hopefully. Podcast mm-hmm. is gonna still be around out there in the in the digital realm. So my question then is, how would you like listeners to think of you? Like, you know, years from now, what, mm. how do you want to be remembered? You know, not just this body of work, but, you know, how, how do you want people to think of Bob? Wow. I don't know if I've ever had anyone ask me that, but hopefully, hopefully we've talked around some of those issues in this, this past hour. I think I would want people to know to, I will hope that I have demonstrated curiosity. I hope that they will remember me as someone who never stopped learning. I hope that they will 
take from it that there is an undercurrent of kindness and love and gentleness to to and from the people that I spoke with. Civil discourse modeled, maybe in a dystopian Planet of the Apes type world, they'll <laughs> discover this and say, oh, maybe we need to do more of that. Maybe that's, may, what is this thing? So, you know, I, I always tell people, my greatest joy, the, what I'm, what, what like turns my buttons is when someone says, oh, I've never thought about it that way before. Like, that's what I live for, Dan. Like, mm -hmm. That's what I live for. Like, I want people to see things from a different perspective for their light. When, when someone's, those lights turn on and you see it in their eyes and they say, oh, that is so good. I've never thought about it that way before. Maybe that's the teacher in me. Maybe, mm -hmm. like you said, maybe it's, maybe it's people seeing things from another perspective, you know, that non-binary thinking. But I, that, that's really what I want. I, I really want people to, to see and observe what it means to be vulnerable. I think that's the great, one of the greatest things we can gifts that we can give to another human being is to be empathetic, to be vulnerable and to be vulnerable to each other, to share our hearts. And I hope, I hope that I demonstrated that in some way so that people can pass that on and do it and say, you know, it's not, it's scary, but it's actually healing. Maybe, maybe these feelings that I've had and maybe these thoughts that I have, maybe they're not so crazy. Maybe if I just get them out and share them and talk to someone, maybe I can learn and grow and expand as well. So uh, those are the things that, that I try to, to accomplish on the podcast. And I hope that people will see and feel that and hear it. And like you said, maybe years to come. Very good. Very good. I think that's a good, that's a good way to want to be remembered. <laughs> well, thanks, Bob. I really appreciate it. This is thank fun. You. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is new for me. And I, I want to thank you for, for suggesting it and for taking it on and, and hopefully, hopefully it won't be the least listened to episode. <laughs> <laughs> not. I hope not. Uh, that's funny. Well, thanks, Dan. Thank you. And I guess we'll talk to you soon and we'll do it again. You know, who knows? Well, we'll I, might, I might get you to co-host on, on one of these episodes. I'll let you pick a guest and we'll, we'll tackle it together. That's awesome. Then, then I'll be like a three-peat. And do I get a jacket <laughs> if I do it five times? Yeah. Yeah. I'll give you, I'll give you a cut of, of what I make. Zero, <laughs> zero. zero of zero. <laughs> awesome. All right, man. Until next time. All right. All right. Bye.